0: Grace and peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Let's turn and greet one another.
1: The Apostle Paul wrote to the church For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, but live into the spirit of freedom in Christ and bear the fruit of the spirit love, joy, peace patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control. Thanks be to God that we are a people committed to that way. Let us pray together. Lord, we do lift our hearts to you this morning as we worship you. May you be glorified. May your Holy Spirit speak through your word. Open our hearts and our minds. On this weekend in which we celebrated independence and our life together as a nation, we thank you for that reality that we celebrate, and now we sink deeply into the foundations of all freedoms. We just pray in your name.
0: new song to the Lord, who has worked wonders, whose right hand and holy arm have brought salvation. The
2: Lord has made known salvation, has shown justice to the nations, has remembered truth and love for the house of Israel.
0: All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, sing out your joy.
2: Sing Sing psalms to the Lord with a harp, with the sound of music, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, acclaim the king.
0: that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth.
1: But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile
0: give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you.
1: You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy.
0: But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he gives rain to the righteous,
2: His hearts up.
0: so let us come to the Lord and humble ourselves before him and confess to him the truth about ourselves. Let us pray. O God of shalom, we have built up walls to protect ourselves from our enemies, but those walls also shut us off from receiving your love. Break down those walls, we pray. Help us to see that the way to your heart is through the reconciliation of our own hearts with our enemies. Bless them and us, that we may come to grow in love for each other and for you through Jesus Christ. And so we bring to you the silent confessions of our hearts. For we pray through Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. My friends, the good news is that surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he he was was wounded wounded for our our transgressions, transgressions, crushed crushed for our our iniquities. iniquities, Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all.
2: Stand and sing together, church, the song of thanksgiving.
1: I suspect we all saw some fireworks last night. Just think uh, watching fireworks from so many different places. I Think if we were in an airplane flying over the United States. And to see the whole nation celebrating its independence and the freedom that we have grown to love and to be reminded of uh, the price that the nation has paid and the lives that have been lost. Our hearts have to be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving for the gift of life that we have received." And so we sing and with these celebrate, uh, patriotic melodies and words as a reminder to us of the gifts that we have received. When we, uh, when we preach through Scripture as we seek to do in a systematic way, you know that we've been moving through uh, Paul's letter to the Romans this year. We're in chapter 12 now. Uh, Sometimes there are texts that maybe one would like just to jump over, uh, but to do so would mean to avoid something that, would be, that is really important for us to think about, even though difficult to think about, if not painful for most of us, I would suspect. And so I read from Romans 12, beginning in verse 14. Paul gives instruction to the Christians in Rome. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Know if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your your sight, O God. You are our rock and our redeemer. Be present with us in this moment, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There's something about human nature that can be easily tempted to take vengeance, to be so offended are bothered, are hurt, are wounded by some event or person in our lives, that we are moved from the depths of our souls to take justice into our own hands and to equalize things, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is a theme that runs throughout history. It runs throughout American history. I found myself drawn, this being a national holiday, to some elements related to our own national histories, to some of our own story. Someone said, you gave us a real history lesson this morning. Well, I intend to do so again. It was in May of 1856. On the floor of the United States Senate in Washington, D.C., that Charles Sumner, the senator from Massachusetts, stood and delivered a speech that was five hours long over two days. I promise not to do that to you this morning. the subject of that speech was the crime against Kansas he was convinced as many abolitionists were in the Northeast that slaveholders were looking after their interest in the Western territories and doing everything possible to extend the institution of slavery into those territories and they wanted Kansas to be a pro-slave state. And the storm clouds were gathering for the American Civil War. Sumner was passionate as an abolitionist. He had seen the evils of humans owning humans. And so he addressed the whole Issue of the institution of slavery that had haunted America from the very beginning. We need to remember that the time when the Constitution of the United States was written and approved, that slaves were only counted as three-fifths of a person. And later on in the 1850s, 1857, the famous Dred Scott decision said that since slaves were not citizens at the time when the Constitution was written, that they could never in the future of America become citizens. They would always be property. That shut the door. And it led to the total loss of compromise. And what Sumner represented before the United States Senate with the galleries packed, with the balconies and everyone present, to hear his word because he was known as this absolutist, charismatic speaker. He made his case against the South. And people throughout the South, as they read this speech, indeed this speech was printed in newspapers in every major city in the United States. Some have said it was the speech that drove America to the Civil War. But as the southerners listened, they felt their honor was deeply violated and that the self-interest of both south and north was being placed in danger, threatened, because the institution of slavery was so important for the economy of our country. And so there were brewing storm clouds and some there spoke. And the whole nation was stunned by what they heard. There was a a representative from South Carolina, newly elected to the Congress, to the House of Representatives, named Preston Brooks. And he decided after listening to this speech that the South needed to take revenge, that Sumner needed to be put in his place, and so he began to, to plan carefully over two days. And when the floor, the chamber of the Senate was emptied and only Sumner was left, Brooks walked in only with his cane. He had been wounded in a duel. Tells you something about 19th century America. He walked in with his cane with a gold knob top. Sumner did not see him coming. And he walked to the desk, and Sumner lifted his head. And Preston Brooks began to cane him with that cane, to beat him. Sumner had been busy autographing copies of his speech. He was so impressed with himself. But Brooks beat him nearly to death with the gold end of the cane. And as as Sumner was crying out, he he fell to the floor, and he continued to beat him. And as Brooks walked out, Sumner was on the floor, unconscious, with his blood all over the place, and no one came to his aid. There were only a few people in the chamber at the time. The result of that was That all the newspapers throughout the South proclaimed Brooks a hero. And all the newspapers in the north claimed Sumner to be a hero. It just depended on which side of the Mason Dixon line you were. There was revenge. Many people were stunned, and they asked the question, how could something like this happen on the, on the floor of the United States Senate? What it did was to begin that movement that was led to an irreconcilable irre- differences and an inability to compromise between North and South. What it released was a spirit of revenge, of vengeance of one group of people, of fellow citizens upon another, both sides, as Abraham Lincoln said in his second inaugural, read the same Bible and pray to the same God. How is it that we could choose to beat up on each other, to have revenge, to even the score, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Now that story may seem to be irrelevant to modern America. But I want to suggest to you this morning that the potential for this kind of vengeance lurks deep in every human heart. Think about your own life story. Thinking about my own. I I want you to know something about my family. We lived in a very fairly stable family. But my dad was a character. He grew up In Oklahoma and Texas in the 20s and the 30s, where it was not uncommon to to fight and to carry guns. In fact, some of my pictures I have with boxing gloves on with my dad, and we're in the front yard, and we're getting ready to box together, and my dad was very proud of that. He wanted to be a professional prize fighter, and he knew all about them. On one occasion, story I'll never forget, his sister was out for an evening having a good time and a drunk in a place took a bottle and hit her over the head and nearly killed her. And my dad and his brother found out who did that and they brought him into my dad's office and beat him up. And as a little boy what I remember is riding in the car and my dad's hand in a cast. He had had his revenge. (laughs) And it scared the hell out of me. My friends used to tease me that I was so different than my dad. I just didn't want to do anything to stir my dad's anger. Because I knew what could happen. Some of us, some of you have grown up in families like that. Even though I knew deeply how much my dad loved me, I can still remember every time he gave me a spanking. It was not fun. When his younger brother was killed in a gang fight out in Albuquerque, he called me. I was a student at Princeton Seminary. My mother was terribly afraid that my dad would find his gun and go after that person In fact, he did. He chased him down. He found out who he was. He didn't kill him. He didn't hurt him. The man went to prison. But it was something that we always knew lurked in his heart. And I thought that I was so totally unlike that. Until in my adult years... I went through an experience where I was wounded to the depths of my being, and for a while it seemed that revenge made half sense in my own life. If I hadn't have had some good friends who talk me down, who calm my spirit, I might have done something that I would have regretted for the rest of my life. You know, it's an interesting thing that the Bible is filled with stories like this. Think about it. Think of that famous story of Joseph and his brothers. Remember that story from the book of Genesis? Young Joseph, who was a part of a family with 12 brothers, but he was the youngest and the favorite of his dad. His dad actually made him a coat of many colors and gave it to him. Didn't give one to the other brothers. His brothers hated him the more. Sibling rivalry. Ever have something like that going on in your family? Parental favoritism? What made it worse is that young Joseph had dreams. Dreams. And his dreams went like this. He could see his brothers one day coming in and falling down before him and worshiping him. What made it worse was he told his brothers. And so they decided to get rid of this kid. They contemplated just outright killing him, throwing him into a pit and letting him starve to death. Then they decided, well, maybe let's sell him to a a Midianite trading group. And they did. They sold him into slavery in Egypt for 30 pieces of silver. They took that beautiful coat that Jacob had made for his son, poured animal blood on it and brought it back to Jacob, told him, Obviously, Joseph's been attacked by a wild animal, and he's dead. We, hit, we didn't find his body, but here's the robe with his blood on it. And Jacob grieved for a long time, and it seemed to be the end of the story, and yet the family secret haunted them all for years. Until one day, in the midst of famine and drought, with no food in order to survive, the brothers had to go to Egypt to get food where they discovered, lo and behold, that Joseph was alive and he was the administrator of of the social welfare, welfare system of Egypt. And they were traumatized. At long last, Joseph revealed himself to them. They brought Jacob down, settled the family in Egypt, And after years passing, Jacob died and the brothers said to themselves, now Joseph will have his revenge. Some of us have waited for years to get even. And there are a lot of ways of getting even with words, with writing, with actions. You name it, there are a lot of ways. And sometimes vengeance can require a lot of patience in our lives. But it's just there. And one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible, at the very end of Genesis chapter 50, the brothers come into Joseph, who's in the position of authority and power, and they come crawling, bowing before him, just as young Joseph had dreamed. It must have been a haunting moment for him. And they asked for his mercy. And Joseph extended his mercy. His life had been touched by the goodness of God. He was alive himself. He said, you meant it for evil. There was no denial about the evil. But God meant it for good to bring about the salvation of the family and to keep this family through whom God was determined to bless all the nations of the earth. Powerful story. And it introduced that whole theme and the whole biblical story of the Old Testament of a God of mercy and love, not willing that any should perish at work in the midst of human circumstances that at times were evil, where things did not always go right, where human nature was always revealed, where nations were fighting fighting nations, always having revenge. A few years ago, I read Thomas Friedman's book From Beirut to Jerusalem, and he said what really drives the warfare And the struggle in the Middle East to this day is the old lex talionis, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you Arabs hit us Jews, we Jews will hit you back, except we will hit you harder. And we up the ante. And we discover that we do not know how to do justice or how to make peace when we live by that philosophy of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In the Old Testament story, If you accidentally kill someone, what had been institutionalized within Israel were cities of refuge where you could flee so the family could not find you and kill you and even the score. Well, if anyone ever had a reason to even the score, it was God. who was abandoned by those who belonged to him, who did not respond to his love. The New Testament begins with the story of how this God, rather than enacting vengeance as we think about vengeance, became incarnate in Jesus and lived amongst us called his disciples around him who lived in the presence of his enemies and never once did he advocate killing their enemies. Just the opposite. You've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies but I say to you, love your enemies and do good to those who persecute You pray for your enemies. work for reconciliation and peace seems like an impossible command from Jesus for his people. Jesus, as he was nailed to the cross, looked down from the cross and he didn't curse his enemies. But what he said was, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus seemed to know that humans do not know how to do justice, that only God does. And we can leave the broken, wounded circumstances of our lives, the deep wounds that cause us to ache through the night and come back in our dreams on many ways. He knew we did not know how to do justice but he was determined to give himself and his spirit to us in such a way to redeem us to bear whatever judgments our sins deserved to reconcile us to God and to fill us up with the very love of heaven that would cause us to see everything and everyone in new ways and someone said well that's not the way the world works that's idealistic utopianism. And the message that you have this morning from Jesus and the apostles is not relevant to the human condition and the kind of world in which we live. But let me give you a couple of instances. At the end of World War I, the Allies who won the victory decided to punish Germany. And they did so and made them pay reparations. And it bankrupted not only Germany, but Europe in many ways. And what happened in response to the need for vengeance on the part of the winners was that Adolf Hitler was born and he exacted his vengeance in the 1930s upon the Jews and others who were he considered to be weak. And all of Western civilization was threatened by totalitarian government. By the end of World War II, those who won that realized that the great challenge for all of history was for nations to learn to make friends of their enemies. And so America responded not in vengeance. It's one of the great stories about American life we responded with compassion and help for a Europe that was in ruins and for Japan in helping to rebuild, to make friends of enemies. And it succeeded. In South Africa, that was under the oppression of apartheid, with the falling of apartheid and the racism there, It could have led to a mass race war. But Nelson Mandela and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, informed by the vision of the gospel, instituted a truth and reconciliation commission that gave people who had committed sins and crimes during the time of apartheid to come and publicly confess their sins, to ask for forgiveness, to repent, to turn around and to seek a new beginning in forgiveness and grace. And people did that and multitudes were forgiven and South Africa succeeded up to this point. And the question remains will not those who have been wounded so deeply find a way of executing vengeance of taking the law into their own hands? We had an example of it two weeks ago in Charleston with the Mother Emanuel Church who had had nine of its members murdered in the middle of a Bible study and prayer group. And they met face-to-face on closed-circuit television with the guy that murdered them, a white man filled with rage and carrying the Confederate flag. And they shared with him how much he had changed their life and how deeply wounded they were, and that their lives would never be the same. They did not do like survivors oftentimes do before those who have wounded them, curse them, and hope that the worst possible things can happen and that their suffering will be endless in hell. Just the opposite. After sharing their hurt, They extended forgiveness to the murderer. An act of amazing grace. As I listened to that, I thought to myself, this is too quick. I don't understand this. This is not humanly possible. How can those who have been wounded so deeply forgive the enemy? One of you gave me a copy of the op-ed editorial in the LA Times from June the 25th written by uh, Edmund um, Baptist is his name, strange name, for a professor at the university, last name Baptist. But he was writing about forgiveness and it was entitled, Forgiveness Basically Will Not Change uh, the Consequences of uh, Racism in America. And he was saying, so many whites had had welcomed this quick grace that had been extended because it let us all off the hook and not have to deal with what it is we believe and our behaviors that are destructive to others. He said, you white Americans, I need to discomfort you because the killer is not in jail. He's still out there in the world. And he said, it's us. Because we want what he called Walmart grace. Cheap grace. In the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian. A grace that does not change. A grace that does not transform. A grace that not, does not require anything. Does not require repentance. Repentance. We want Walmart grace. But that's not the grace of the letter to the Romans, is it? Because what Paul's been sharing with us throughout this letter is how seriously God has taken our sin. So much so that he sent his own son who upon the cross bore whatever judgment we deserved Whatever suffering that humanity truly deserved, he bore it in his own body, and in his death, he reconciled us to God and to one another, and calls us to the transformed life—lives that are changed by the power of grace—so that we walk in the way of love and are able to renounce vengeance upon those who have heard us. Here's a picture on the front page of your bulletin. It's a picture of a painting done by Salvador Dali, the famous uh, Spanish artist. He was a character. He painted this picture in 1951, and it's a picture of the harbor, of the little village where he lived, right in front of his house. And over that bay hangs the cross with Jesus on the cross. No blood, not nailed, but just hanging there. That picture was purchased by some Scottish folks. It hangs in a gallery in Glasgow, Scotland. And it is one of the most valuable paintings in the world. And as soon as it was installed there, a young man with a brick in his hand came in and tried to destroy it and to rip it apart. And he was carried off. They were able to repair it. But Dolly painted that from a sketch done by St. John of the Cross, one of the Spanish mystics and saints. And he painted it and he said what he saw In his dream, a revelation that came to him, what he saw was this bay and this cross with Jesus on it represented the nucleus of the atom. And what it said to him was that Christ holds the whole cosmos together. I believe that. What holds the cosmos together is the forgiving grace and love of God who gives to us not what we deserve, but who gives to us his love that has the power to heal, to reconcile, to change enemies into friends, to bring new understanding. I believe that kind of healing And renouncing a vengeance is the only hope of the world. Otherwise, the violence will escalate and the nations will be at war. And so Paul, quoting Proverbs 25, can say, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing this, in showing kindness, in loving one who has wounded you, You create the possibility for a whole new beginning. This is a message, even though it's a difficult one, the church needs to relearn in our time, in which the nation needs to rethink in a time when so many see us as their enemies. And the escalation of warfare and of revenge simply goes on on. And on and on the hope of the world is in Jesus Christ and what the cross represents and the power of his love through the Holy Spirit within our lives. I want to invite you to stand with me now and to affirm our faith together. Words of Paul from First Thessalonians. We'll read these words responsively. Paul exhorts those who follow in the way of Christ, do not repay evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, do not quench the spirit, do not despise the words of prophets, But test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that the one who calls us is faithful, and he will do this. Thanks be to God. You may be seated as we receive our morning offering.
2: We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one. Christians by our love, by our love. Will they know we are Christians by our love?
0: Reconciling God, how grateful we are that you came in Jesus as our peace and broke down human dividing walls. And so we hold before you the places in our world that need your reconciling love today. Come and mend divisions and animosities, nation against nation, tribe against tribe, race against race, employer against employee, church against church, neighbor against neighbor, parent against child, husband against wife. We pray reconciliation and healing for loving relationships brought to ruin for those who live with bitter regrets, for those from whom we are estranged, for all who have a burden they cannot bear, and for those who help carry another's burden, who step in to reconcile, who bring support and healing. hear the names of these for whom we pray as we speak them aloud before you, And as we bring you these gifts, we ask that you will use them and that you will use us for your purposes in this world. Even as we pray for the day when your kingdom comes in its fullness, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.
1: As benediction in charge, I read Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, if you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example, so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that, free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Go forth in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.